feels like I'm way far away. Um, good to be with y'all. Uh, tonight we are going to be continuing our journey through the membership vows. And tonight we'll be focusing on vow three. Uh, if you need a reminder, they're there for you on the back of the worship order. Um, but so far we've covered vow one. And vow one is this. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God? justly deserving His displeasure and without hope in His saving mercy. And then last week we covered vow two. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He has offered in the gospel? And my hope is that uh, to both of those questions, you all um, said yes. Uh, Tonight we are going to be looking at the so what vows. So you believe you're a sinner without any hope except in Jesus for your salvation. And you rest in Jesus alone to save you. But so what? The writers of the Book of Church Order did a great job following a similar line of thinking that Paul did when he outlined the Christian faith in the Book of Romans. In Romans 1-3, through Paul basically lays out for the Jew and for the Gentile that there is no hope in nature or in the law for them to be saved. Paul says that God, uh, good people and bad people alike are under condemnation for their constant rejection of God's revelation. That's vow one. Then in Romans 3 through 5, Paul lays out that though there is no hope in nature or law, there is hope for those that trust in Christ alone for salvation. Though all are guilty under the law, there is a justification to be had through faith alone in Christ alone. And that's vow two. In two short vows, the writers of our BCO have tried to ensure that all communing members of Christ's church affirm the basic tenets of Christianity in Romans 1 through 5. And then they move into Romans 6 through 8 to cover what you've heard us say over and over and over again. Though salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, saving faith is never alone. Now that you believe in justification by faith alone in your mind and supposedly in your heart, what are you going to do with that? If you're willing and able, I invite you to please stand and we will follow Paul's line of thinking to that unavoidable question uh, beginning in Romans 5.18 and going through 6.14. Hear God's Word. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died... He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The Word of the Lord. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of His Word, and may He grant us all the grace to trust and obey it. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right, before we get too knee-deep into the third vow, uh, it's important to remember for us the context in which these vows are set. The five membership vows are in the sacraments section in the book of church order. They're there because the vows are to be made by everyone seeking full communion in the church. And this typically falls into three categories. One category is people who have never believed the gospel and have never been baptized but want to. This group is to be examined by the session. They are to take these vows. They are to be baptized. And then they are to be admitted into the church as full communing members. Now another category to take these vows is people who have believed the gospel in the past. People who have been baptized. And they are seeking to place full communing membership in a different church. This group is to be examined by the session. They are to take these vows, not be rebaptized, and permitted to come into that church as full communing members. And then there's a third group. This last category is for people who have not, um, who have been baptized, and they are seeking to become full communing members in the church that they are in. This category is primarily for baptized children who are ready to take the Lord's Supper. Just like the other two groups, the children are to be brought to the session and examined. They are to take these vows 
and they are to be admitted to the Lord's Supper as full communing members. So adults, if you read the questions on the back of your worship order and you agree with your heart and your mind and your lives, then you are ready to be full communing members of the church. Parents, do your kids believe not necessarily just those words, but those truths that you see there on the back of the worship order? The adult version of vow one might be this. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope save in His sovereign mercy? But kids can affirm those same truths. Kids, listen up. Do you know you disobey God? Do you know that He should be sad and mad at you when you do disobey? Do you know that your only hope is that God would be merciful to you? The adult version of vow two may be this. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the gospel? But kids can affirm these same truths. Kids, do you believe that Jesus is your King and your Master? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus saves even the bad guys? People who disobey. People just like you. Do you think that you can be saved by being good or trying to obey? Or do you think that only Jesus can save you? Do you know that if you trust Him, you will be saved because He lived and He died and He rose from the dead to save you? Parents, do your kids believe not necessarily those words, but those truths that you see there on the back of the worship order? If so, and if they haven't been baptized then they're ready to be brought before the session, baptized and received into the church as full communing members. If they've already been baptized and they believe those truths, then they're ready to come to the Lord's table. Now, whether they've been baptized or not, if they don't believe those truths, then they're not ready for the Lord's table. If you don't know if your kids believe these things and you want a kid's version of those vows, see one of us after uh, and we'll get them to you. Go through the vows together. Talk about the meaning of the words. Use them as a template for gospel conversations in the home. Use this sermon series to inform those conversations. So far we've covered vow 1 and vow 2. We'll cover vow 3 today and 4 and 5 the next two weeks. Come to MC. Discuss them together. Figure this thing out. And then we can live life together. Let's look at verse, excuse me, let's look at vow 3. We'll unpack vow 3 now. Adults, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. Kids, do you promise to trust Jesus and try to obey Him, even when it's hard? Do you know that every time you obey, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit working in your heart? 
Do you know and do you promise to try your hardest to trust God and to live like someone who trusts Jesus? The answer for the adults and the kids should be yes to all of those questions. You should never stop after vow one and vow two. That's Paul's argument in Romans 5 through 8. You can't just say, yes, I believe that I disobey God and He should judge me for disobeying. And yes, the only hope that I have is that He would be merciful to me. And yes, I believe that He has been and is merciful to me because of what Jesus did for me. But then turn around and say, no, I don't promise to live like someone who follows this Jesus. But isn't that what some people do? Isn't that what some of us find ourselves doing at times? There are those out there that would claim that Jesus can be your Savior in your heart and your mind, but He doesn't have to be Lord of your life. Some might say that God's grace covers all my sin and I'm not made right by following His law, so I don't have any obligation then to follow His laws. You see how dangerously close to being true some of those things are. Yes, Jesus is Savior. Yes, God's grace does cover all of our sin. Yes, we don't believe that we're made right by following the rules. So some people believing those things will then follow that line of thinking without comparing it to the Scriptures and conclude that we can then just live our lives however we want because God's grace is so bountiful. Now Paul has either seen this in action already or he's anticipating the potential pitfalls. So he asks a hypothetical question that's somewhat sarcastic. What shall we say then? Should we keep on sinning so that God's grace may abound? And he answers with about as strong a no as you can get. By no means. No way. That's insanity. If you believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, if you affirm vows 1 and 2, you can in no way continue as though that would have no impact on your lives. If you've been united to Jesus by baptism, by grace, through faith, then you are bound to live out of that reality. What we believe impacts how we live. And if it doesn't, then we don't really believe it. That's the truth that we've been trying to drive home every Sunday school during our Apostles' Creed study. We confess we believe these things, but these truths we say we believe must impact how we live or we are just a bunch of hypocrites because we don't actually believe them. If you believe that you're a wretched sinner, justly deserving God's infinite wrath for your disobedience, if you believe that in Christ He has been, is, and will be merciful to you because of Christ's work and not your own, that better impact every area of your life. How then, having received such a great gift, could you then turn around and not be merciful to others when they sin against you? If you say you believe this God and then 
When your boss or your wife or your children sin against you, and yet you become bitter and angry and heap out vengeance and wrath, do you really believe God has been merciful to you? If you gossip about your boss, if you make your spouse sleep on the couch, if you impatiently and harshly berate your children, do you really believe God has been merciful to you? If you believe God's grace and mercy covers your sin, then how can you who believe this continue to sin by withholding grace and mercy from others? If you've taken vow one, You've died to harshness, bitterness, and an unforgiving spirit. How can you continue to live in those sins? That's just a little unbelief in Val 1. We also affirm that we believe Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. But how does that belief impact how we live as a follower of Him? Do you believe that He saves all kinds of sinners or just some kinds of sinners? Do you categorize the kinds of sinners that you're willing to associate with? Are greedy sinners outside of Christ's reach? Are Democrat sinners, Republican sinners, rich sinners, poor sinners, black sinners, white sinners, gay sinners, straight sinners, adulterous sinners? Is there a group of sinners that you draw the line and won't affiliate with? Then do you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of sinners? How can we who are united to the Savior of sinners not be willing to bring the gospel of God's grace to all kinds of sinners? If you've taken vow to, you've died to divisions and judgmentalism. How can we continue to live in them? Vow to also addresses those of us that are tempted to fall back into an obedience-based way of receiving God's grace. We say we've received God's grace and we rest on the work of Jesus alone for our salvation. But then how do we live as His followers? Do we run ourselves ragged by trying to please God and man? Do we always feel the need to be busy and productive or else we're not pleasing God? Are we involved in every extracurricular activity because we have to prove ourselves through our children? Do we think we have to give our children everything to be good parents? Do we rest in Jesus on His day by gathering with the saints every chance we get? Or by checking our work emails and fretting over sporting events? Do we try to give rest to others by demanding that they serve us while we rest? Do others feel like they have to work for your love and reward? Or do they feel like they are safe and secure in your love for them? If you've taken vow to, you've died to a works-based righteousness. You've died to people-pleasing, to running the rat race, and to making others do the same. How can we still live in them? All of that is undergirding vow three, the so what vow. We say we believe those things, but then how will we live? 
you're taking vow three, or if you're thinking about taking vow three, you're vowing to endeavor not just to believe in your minds, but to live those beliefs out with your lives. Isn't that what was undergirding our Scripture reading of the Ten Commandments? Who God is and what He'd done for His people required their faithfulness. Did Israel trust the God who delivered them out of Egypt? If so, then they were to live their lives in such a way that befits people who were following Him through the wilderness and into the promised land. Do you believe that you were delivered out of the bondage of your sin and death by the work of Jesus? then you should live your life as someone who is following Him through the wilderness and into the promised land. If you love Him, you will keep His commandments. If you actually trust this God and really believe these things, then they will impact every area of your life. C.T. Studd said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for Him. That's vow three. If you believe these things about Jesus, you must walk as those who be fit to follow Him. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, you must give Him all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength to following Him. The theology of depravity and justification and adoption must lead to sanctification. Christ must direct your life. Now that's not saying it's going to be easy. C.S. Lewis said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port could do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. If you have vowed these things, and if you're endeavoring and giving it your all, and you're trying to obey Jesus, then you know as well as I do, it is not easy, and it is not comfortable. Being gracious and merciful to someone who has sinned against you is really hard And it really hurts. Being around sinners who don't look like you or think like you or sin like you can be really awkward and uncomfortable. Trusting Jesus so much that you don't wear yourself out trying to earn His love can fill you with deep anxiety. Those of you that are trying to do these things know the reality of this struggle. You want to forgive, but at the same time you find yourself wanting to heap out a little bit of judgment. You desire to see sinners trust Jesus, but you stay in your bubble because it's a little too awkward or a little too tiring to try to befriend people that are so unlike you. You want to rest in Jesus, but your Sunday is spent worrying about Monday. You don't understand your own actions. You have the desires to do what's right, but in your own strength, it feels like you don't have the ability to carry it out. When you want to do what's right, evil 
is right there with you. It feels so close at hand. You delight in God's law and in these truths, and you want to fulfill your membership vows, but you feel the war within yourself, between your flesh and between the Spirit. You're not alone. Paul walks people just like you, people just like me, going through that same ordeal in Romans 7, and he goes right into Romans 8. People who acknowledge themselves as sinners in God's sight. People who know God shouldn't be pleased with them, but He's been merciful to them. People who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. People who believe in justification by faith alone and who are endeavoring with heart and mind and soul and strength to live as followers of Jesus. People like you and me. Paul reminds them and us that this battle, this fight, this endeavoring to live as those who follow Jesus cannot be won in the power of our own flesh. We must wage this war. We must walk this line by relying on the Holy Spirit. That's the same wisdom the writers of our BCO made sure to emphasize Remember vow three? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes followers of Christ? Do you promise to try and trust Jesus and obey Him even when it's hard? Do you know that every time you obey, it's because of the Holy Spirit working in your heart? Do you promise to try your hardest to trust God and live like someone who loves Jesus? You and I, no matter how well-intentioned, no matter how much we believe the gospel in our minds, do not have the power in and of ourselves to live out the implications of the gospel in our lives. We must rely not on our own strength, but in humble reliance on the grace of the Holy Spirit if we are going to live as followers of Jesus. No mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but does continually break them in thought, word, and deed. We needed the obedience of God the Son to live and die and rise again, but even then we can't obey in our own strength. We need the power of God the Spirit, who descended upon Christ at His baptism, who was with Him through His life of obedience, and who raised Him from the dead. We need the work of God's free grace, to renew us in the whole man after the image of God if we are to die more and more to sin and live more and more to righteousness. When you feel like you want to follow Jesus, but you feel too weak to do so, then you're on the right track. Only when you're out of strength can you rely on the Spirit to strengthen you for the fight of your life. If we say we believe and our lives don't change, we don't really believe. But if we do really believe, our whole life will be changed. Salvation is by grace alone, 
through faith alone, in Christ alone. But sanctification is also by grace alone, through faith alone. And everyone who takes thou one and two must also take thou three. Because you've been saved from your sins by the sinless Son of God, His Spirit will finish the work He began in you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Pray with me now that God, by His grace, would enable us not just to believe in Jesus with our minds, but to trust and obey Him with our lives. Let's pray. O God, the Holy Spirit, You who proceed from the Father and the Son, have mercy on us. When You first hovered over chaos, You brought order there. Beauty robed the world, and fruitfulness sprang forth. Move, we pray, upon our chaotic hearts. Take away the sickness of our unruly desires and hateful lusts. Lift the mist and darkness of unbelief and brighten our soul with the pure light of truth. Fulfill in us the glory of divine offices. Be our comforter, light, guide, and sanctifier. Take of the things of Christ and show them to our souls. Through you may we daily learn more of His love, His grace, His compassion, His faithfulness and His beauty. Increase our faith in the clear knowledge of our debt having been paid, our sins forgiven, our enemy defeated, heaven opened and eternity made ours. O Holy Spirit, deepen in us these saving lessons. Write them upon our hearts that our walk be sin-loathing, sin-fleeing, and Christ-loving. Help us to walk as is befitting followers of Jesus, to the glory of His name. Amen.